All right, let's get ready. Let's fire it off. Welcome to Elixir of the Gods. I'm having the immense pleasure to be on my balcony in Berlin today uh, with my good friend Diego in person. We have the possibility to be together again physically, which is very nice. Diego, hello and welcome Welcome to my balcony. <laughs> Thanks, Albert. Thanks again. Always nice to be here. Today we have a very special show. We have a couple of invites that will introduce themselves because it's the best way to, to get to know somebody. We have guests today from Mexico and we also have a guest from uh, Germany and uh, they are in a kind of business relationship, I would say, or they are in a business relationship. And we want to explore a little bit today about how these relationships work about across the continents, how you are working together. Our guests are Bernardo Sada, I hope I pronounce it correctly, and Niksha uh, Pirovic from uh, Noble Coyote Mezcal. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. It's a pleasure to be in this show. I'm Bernardo Sada. I was born in Oaxaca City in 1986, and I grew up mostly in Mexico City. My dad is from Oaxaca. My mother is Lebanese. She also grew up in Mexico. I studied biology, and this is where my first contact with mezcal and agave happened. While I was studying, I, did, I was doing some research on herbolar medicine in Mexico through the indigenous communities. And we were studying specifically the code, a codex, which was originally written in Nahuatl, and then was translated to Latin, and it contained the medicines of the Aztecs. And while studying that, uh, it was a linguistic study together with a botanical uh, background, and we were looking for the plants uh, that were in the codex. So that eventually got me in Oaxaca. My first contact with mezcal was talking to curanderos, to healers, and watching how they maintained uh, most of their medicines in mezcal. No? They would put all the herbs, all the fruits, or whatever kind of potions they might have, they would conserve them in mezcal. Oh, so okay. in my first encounter with mezcal, it was through drinking and using it as um, for in your skin no? as a potion. This really wondered me, and I always acknowledge the sacred part on the mezcal through this. Years later, also through the scientific background, I came to Oaxaca to do conservation plants on the agaves from the deforestation problem there's been on the mezcal making. Since then, uh, six years ago, we, we, be, we started a, a growing program together with the brand. And now we're really happy to say that for the first time this year, we got a quiote from one of our plants. Oh. So we're very happy. Six years that. after. Yes. Nice. It's from a coyote. It's agave liova. It's a plant that was just recently identified two years ago by La UNAM, the University of Mexico. And it's endemic to the region of the Amatlanes, near Miahuatlán. So the doctor uh, in charge of the taxonomical identification came all the way to San Luis Amatlán, which is where we have our palenque and you are, of course, invited to come. Um, and he did the identification there because we, we were growing this plant before it was even identified because it's different from the original coyote, which is Americana. In this region, they call it coyote, although it's different. We were growing it because the maestros told us it was faster than Spadin to shoot the coyote. And we were skeptical, but we did it and we proved it was. Yeah, six years is not so long. Yeah, It's like blue agave. Exactly. Uh, Bernardo, that's a lot of information already that, <laughs> that you're giving us in the uh, first five minutes. Um, we, we're going to go deeper into that. But before, I wanted to introduce our other guest who is close to the Austrian border in... Uh, Traunstein. Traunstein. It's uh, Niksha. So, Niksha, maybe you introduce yourself as well a little bit as you did in the pre-talk. Because uh, I didn't record that. So, you have to do it again. <laughs> So my name is Niksha, as mentioned. I was born in Munich, 76. And I have roots from Croatia, uh, the island from Korchal my parents come from. There was always a strong connection for me on that island. The nature, I was thinking before, uh, what was the path to come to Mescal? And I think it started also in the, on the island because my grandfather or the people there used to do the wine at home. 
every household made the the wine and he had a donkey as well he went in the nature it was this like um every day uh, way going to nature with working with stone with woods or uh, in that case with grapes it has similarities with uh, mezcal as well so is it the steel or is it a wine oh it's a wine Okay, it's a okay. wine, but I think the way of um, working with the nature. So you make your batch for the family. It's handmade. It's unique because it's made by your grandfather. You didn't buy it in the shop. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you don't have to like it always, but it's. <laughs> I think this is one puzzle of the way to to today's uh, story, Mescal. Yes, and grown up in Munich, studied mechanical engineering very close to nature. Uh, during that studies, I got in touch with a lot of Mexicans. And uh, one is also my best friend. He is the patron of my son. I have two kids. One is 17 and the daughter is one and a half. I visited many times Mexico because I felt fully in love with that, I would say, territory. With everything it has, with the nature, with the mystical part, with the openness of the people, independent of the classes they come from. They're much deeper than you know in Europe, if you have a conversation. You know Mexico always has something new to discover in many ways. So as I am, if I like something, I come back to it. So it's easy to find me, also in bars, if it's a good <laughs> one. <laughs> no, but I like good things because uh, you can find uh, more depth in in good things. And uh, based uh, to Mexico, I was actually the first time facing tequila that is completely different what you know in, in, in Europe. It was tremendous difference. The quality, what you're used here is... It's not comparable, and that's also the tough thing we face today with mezcal and uh, saying it has its roots with uh, tequila. Long story short, uh, it's adventure. You mm -hmm. travel, you meet other people, you can't foresee it. It has a depth, it's controversial, so it's a drink at the end, mezcal. And I think uh, what I wanted to have in my life also, what we have today, is actually you have a product you have passion with, It's uh, responsible also on the other hand. And you have a good talk with uh, quality people, let's say in terms of exchanging background. And I think that product exactly can give this. It's not a high volume product. Mm. Mezcal is very challenging. On the one hand, it has a story. On the other hand, it has endless stories. So you have to bring it to someone <laughs> uh, to understand the, this uh, very uh, interesting drink. Yeah. And how I came to Mexico and uh, the mezcal at the end, to make it short, uh, it was uh, very non-organic. By accident, I was um, have a run in, in Munich and I met another Mexican and he said, Hey, Niksha, how are you? I'm fine. So you're coming to my bachelor party and said, yeah, no problem. So when is it? Next week. Okay. Where is it? In Las Vegas. <laughs> okay. I was running back home, thinking, not thinking too long, searching, booked the flight. Say, okay. I'm with you guys. <laughs> Actually, Las Vegas is not what I uh, look for because I've never been there. You know, if you're a show associate, uh, Las Vegas, what is it? It's uh, Casinos. Sex, rocks, and rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And there was one guy in that team. They were all Mexicans. And in the morning when we woke up in the hotel room after the parties and I was chatting with him, what do you do? What's your background? And we just saw we have very similar history, how we with family or now making his business, buying a flat, whatever. And with Manolo in that team, he's a partner of Bernardo. And he came up, he just went for mezcal <laughs> next to his restaurants in Mexico. And I always was looking for entrepreneurship because I love this. I like to build up things. So came the connection. And when I came back to Munich, I was thinking, thinking, should I do it or not? And then I decided, let's do it. And here we are. Yeah, that would have been my next question. How did you guys meet Bernardo um, when you met this crazy Croatian guy who wanted <laughs> to do something with Mezcal? So what, what was your initial reaction? Well, it was great. He came to Oaxaca. I took him to the Palenque. He came with his best buddy. And we came to the Maestro and we had a lot of mezcal and got to know each other really well. They say you should always have a drunk meeting and a, then a sober meeting. No? <laughs> If the drunk meeting goes fine. <laughs> so mezcal is great for this. No? So we did and we got along very well. We clearly 
realized we had uh, similar in, uh, visions, similar intentions, and we've been working together for the last four years, I think. No? Yes. And we, we've developed amazing projects for with Nixa. Last project we did was the Ensemble, which is... Uh, which we are tasting right now, uh-huh. by the way. Which is a thing that came from, I, I would say, from Nixas, the Maestros, and my mind, no? And it was uh, like Nixa would, would recommend us, after a big research he did, of what did he think would be the best product for Munich at the time, for Germany. When I spoke to the Maestro, he loved the idea. And we did the Ensemble Antobala. This was the first Ensemble we've ever produced. No? And um, the Ensemble, how much Espadín percentage Lee is, is, and how much Tobala? It's 80% Espadín and 20% Tobala. Okay, okay. After a big research, Nick did, at what price we, we would be very competitive with a very good product. And then I asked the Maestro what wild agave he thought would be the best to, to perform an 80-20, no? And he said, for sure, Tobala. And he told me, I really like the idea because Tobala notes will remain in this 80-20, no? We did this. It was very special because we did it from the beginning. We made the agave cooking and we made a whole ceremony there. We threw copal rocks at the oven. We all said uh, our words and blessings. And I really think we came out with a great product in the ensemble. It's, it's been one of my favorite mezcals that we've ever produced. It is really good. We are enjoying it right now. So is it available in only in Europe or is this available also US uh, in, in other markets? At the time, only in Europe and Mexico. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are blessed. So this is something the Americans don't have. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bernardo, you, I think you mentioned, or am I mistaken, you, you live in LA? No, I've never lived in the US in my life. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Ah, Where do you live? I live in Oaxaca City. Ah, okay. Well, I live in San Agustin. San Agustin Etla, it's 40 minutes away from Oaxaca City. Mm. It's where I am right now that I was showing you around. Okay, and then you distill somewhere else? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So because we saw some fields where you were planting, so how does it work, the whole manufacturing of Noble Coyote specifically? So the manufacturing starts here in San Agustin Etla, which is where we have the greenhouse. This is where we germinate Okay. all the seedlings. So from here, they go to everywhere in Oaxaca and sometimes other states. Once they're a year old, we transplant them, as I showed you. We have plantations like this all over Oaxaca because we work mostly in half-a-half deals with the comuneros in Oaxaca, with the communities. So how it works is that we give them the plant, they have the land, we take care of them together for the six years and then we split them half and half. So this way uh, it's very convenient because we don't need to buy land in order to have living plants. And we are also working together with the communities and we are reforesting, no? Mm-hmm. Um, so... W- Sorry, quick question, because you said six years, but what what happens to the papalometal? It's at least 12 years. Okay, that's because six uh-huh. years for a papalometal, you, you have a baby, you know? Yeah, I have a really small baby. But something really interesting and I wanted to share with you about the six years is that We started growing espadines five years ago and other plants, but these coyotes were first put in the ground four years ago. So the first one that shoot the coyote did it in four years, which is really amazing. Really, really, yeah. And we're looking that next year, a lot of them will shoot more coyotes. And you go capon then from there? 15% we leave for seeds. Okay. And the rest, you castrate? We castrate, yes. Okay. You castrate them and then you leave them for six months, more or less. It, it would be interesting for the listeners because not everybody understands what capon means. In very few words, what does capon technically mean so that the listeners can understand what we're talking about right now? The quiote, starting there, it's the flower of the agave that is only shoot once in their life and then they die. So this is how you know an agave is mature. When we say it's six to ten years, it's because the species takes... Around the first ones you put in the soil, it will take them six years, and the last one will take ten years. So capon is that when they're shooting the quiote, which is a very big structure that grows from the middle, when it's around a meter tall, you have to cut it. This is the castration part. Once you cut it, you have to wait six months. What it does is that all the sugars were going to be used to produce this huge structure, and the seeds and the flowers is going to remain in the core. So this is why you need to wait six months in order for the sugars to actually be produced. And after six months, you harvest. The plant has enough sugars. Okay. 
I saw that you uh, you have a Capon uh, product. I'm not sure if it's available in Germany, but so you do that on Espadine only or do you do that on all the plants or is it also an ensemble? H how does it work with that product? The Capon is a 100% agave Capon. Other products are usually 70% and the other ones are plants that mature but don't shoot Kyote. Yeah, not all plants shoot Kyote. Not all plants shoot Kyote, exactly. Uh -huh. That's important. So the Capon is a selection of only Capones. Mm -hmm. Okay, but all based on Espadine plants or... Yeah, yeah. Mm. The Capon is only on Espadine plants. Uh -huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then from the lands, after you have made this deal 50-50 with the landlords, so to speak, uh -huh. then a truck goes and picks up the hearts that belong to Noble Coyote or to you, which is Noble Coyote, and then you take them to Amatlan. Or, sorry. Yes. So... As we currently work, is that we have never used an agave we harvested. Until next year, we'll, ah. we're going to, for the first time, use our agaves. But how it works is that when the field is ready, usually we will buy their half. We'll take our half and buy the community their half. Okay. Mm. Okay. Uh -huh. And then you pick it up and bring it to... You mentioned that some, some is in Oaxaca, but all over the state... And some is not even in Oaxaca, so you have to go pick it up, send a truck, harvest, and then bring the piñas. Well, so the ones that we've sent outside of Oaxaca is agaves that we've sold. Ah, okay. okay. Because we produce a lot of one-year-old agaves. Okay. A lot more than we can plant. Okay. So the one you have bought until now is all from Oaxaca? All from Oaxaca, okay. 100%. Okay. Uh -huh. Is that kind of a usual business model? So I understand what you do is you grow the plants, you, you kind of like a farm or like a school of new plants and then you give them to the farmers and basically they pay you by giving you back 50% of the plants that you give them. Did I understand that correctly? And is that a usual model? Are you the only ones who are doing this or are other companies or other brands doing the same thing? It's a usual thing in Oaxaca, mm -hmm. but not, it's not a usual thing in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But especially in communities that have very old traditions, the medias are a common thing. Also, the land in Oaxaca is different than in the rest of Mexico in the way that it's mostly communitary. So it can be private. You can't go in Oaxaca and buy land and make it private. It belongs to the communities and only to the communities. So when in the communities, it's, it's common that people would do half and half deals. They are called medias. You negotiate after the fact that they're putting the soil and you are putting the plants. Mm -hmm. And who takes care of them is always negotiable. I like to always propose we both take care of them. No? Well, um, by this, I mean like we might send people to help uh, take the weeds out and maybe... If it has a plug, uh, we, we will uh, add a product, no? The vision here is, is to be in collaboration with the communities and also make a profit because it can't be sustainable if you're not making a profit, of no? mm. So, yes, it's a common thing and it does work, as you say, no? You give the plants, they have the soil and it's negotiated after, no? Mm. Okay. I, I'm really interested in the process, so sorry that I keep on going, asking and asking, but then you bring the piñas to, to the Palenque. Uh -huh. The Palenque is exclusively Noble Coyotes or the Palenque is shared between several brands that we don't even need to mention. But just to know if this Palenque and, and the Maestro Palenquero is just working for Noble Coyote or the Maestro Palenquero is doing also his own mezcal. Tell us a bit about the Palenque. The Maestro Mezcalero is called Eleazar Brena. Okay. He's a partner in Noble Coyote. In that Palenque... Sometimes they produce the agave admirable, which is the mezcal admirable, which is a traditional mezcal they made as a family from ages. Uh, and it's local sold. It's not available for exporting or for selling in legally, I mean, no? It's not certified. It's not certified, okay. exactly. It's the only mezcal it's produced there that's certified there, yes. Uh, the Noble Coyote. Okay. With Eleazar. Okay. Uh -huh. And the process is the traditional process with... A copper alambic or which kind of an alambic? Copper alambic. Okay. Yeah, it's mezcal artesanal. It's not the pre-Hispanic because I really admire what they do. Although I don't precisely like the taste, but I've seen their work and it's amazing. Mm. Uh, but no, we're doing the mezcal artesanal, which means we, we use a donkey. We use um, steel tools like machetes, like other stuff. We use a ground oven and um, to ferment we use Sabino tools. 
and in and the distillation goes on in the copper alambic. Okay. Before we started recording, you mentioned something about in the middle of the cycle planting other types of plants in the field, and that's also something that we have never mentioned, and it's a very common practice in the mezcal industry, in the healthy mezcal industry, not in every field, but in the healthy mezcal industry. Tell us a bit about that, please. What kind of plants? It's usually frijoles and maize and calabaza. And what, what kinds of plants are you using in, in, for the minerality and the, the recovery of the soil? We use the three sisters, which are the corn, the squash and the beans. Okay, exactly, yeah. This is a very ancient tradition in America. It's called the Three Sisters. In Mexico, it's called the Mil La Milpa. Three Sisters is called the Native Americans in the USA. And in Mexico, it's called Milpa. That now the term Milpa has divariated to mean only corn. But the true meaning of Milpa is a combination of at least these three crops, which make it an official polycrop when you just do the three crops, no? Is the best way to fertilize the ground. The beans get the nitrogen back in the soil. The squash avoids other herbs from growing because it grows on the ground and the corn is the main source of food. No, So during rainy season is when we, I say we, but this has gone on for millennials. No? And we're using it now for the agaves instead of putting other agro-industrial products. Mm -hmm. Very okay. good. Yeah. This is very interesting because this is something that, like Bernardo is saying, this is something that is common practice around the whole country. I don't know if it goes down to Central America too. It may. I don't know. But it is a very common practice, the, the Three Sisters, that to help the soil always stay healthy, always keep a minerality, always keep its nitrogens, always keep... So it's... It's interesting that you guys are doing it because it helps the soil you're working on. And, of course, that gives them a scallop particular flavor you know if the soil is rich it helps the plant you know for the final product and also of course it helps to feed the people because you're growing maices and you're growing frijoles and you're growing stuff that you eat afterwards yeah uh, in downtown oaxaca we opened the noble coyote bar a restaurant which is called the three sisters ah okay uh, se llama la, las tres hermanas and it's only a comal and we are serving mezcal and food from the milpa From the rainy seasons, the food we get, we get it there and, and we cook everything from the milpa and serve mezcal. Awesome. If anybody's going to Oaxaca, think about going to Three Sisters people. Las yeah. Tres Hermanas. <laughs> Las Tres Hermanas. Yeah, look for it. In, you can find it in Google, I guess, right? Tres Hermanas. <laughs> yes, of course, on Instagram. So uh, in the meantime, we, we are having some rain here and some, some thunderstorms here in, uh, in Berlin. So you, you, might can, hear. Be able, you can hear it, yes. Um, but we, we're going to continue. As long as, as we are not blown away, we, we're going to continue the recording. <laughs> okay, um, good. You showed us before we started the recording that you had different types of plants in the same field. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. When you think about tequila and you think what's the worst thing they did it's to only grow the same plant over and over and over again so monoculture basically monoculture when you grow different types of agaves when you go to the mountain you don't see only one type of agave no you see all types of agaves one very important thing that agaves are important for is for the bats the bats populations in tequila for example biologists uh, made research and found out that the, the populations of bats had decreased significantly. Also, like one species of bat only eats one species of, of flower of agave. No? In order to feed the most diversity of bats when they flower, you need more diversity of agaves. So by doing uh, the multi-crops, one of the best things that happens is that you encourage biodiversity. Okay. So th this is a fact. One bat... It's one type of agave, but he doesn't eat the other. Maybe they could eat more, but bats are specified to agaves. Like, not all bats eat all agaves, okay? There are certain bats that eat certain types of agaves. They pollinize. Okay, okay, that's very interesting. They will only have the 15% we have. The program Bat Agave, the program, I mean, it's bat-friendly in tequila. Um, if, if you don't know it, look it up. I think they've done a great job. They propose to leave the 15% quiotes. We've been working, and it's still on the making, to make a bat-friendly program for the mezcal brands. 
which would okay. first it would mean that they would need to start growing agaves, no? That we can get into that subject, no? That f very few brands actually grow agaves, no? And from the very few brands that grow agaves, very few leave them to flower, no? So yeah, of course, it takes longer, which is not good for the business, yeah. Exactly. So with with the brands that uh, grow agaves, do you have an exchange with them so to to have a bit more genetic diversity, or is everybody on on their own at the moment? Is there is there some form of cooperation going on? There is a lot of cooperation, especially in the agave growing, mm -hmm. in the farming part. So yes, I, I work also uh, in the farming part together with a brand called Ecos Mezcal. Uh -huh. And we uh, support each other in the greenhouses, we do seeds exchanges, we do agaves exchanges, and we, like, we, we cooperate a lot. We're having some of the coyote right now, actually, so we, we, yeah. we got thirsty again. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. 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 Salute. Mm. I wanted to go back to the beginning. You are a biologist, botanist, right? And you told us that you got in contact basically with nature healers who used mezcal in a way to preserve their medicine. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So when you walk to Oaxaca, when you come to Oaxaca, it would be very probable that if you get sick, you might go to a curandero, to a healer of some sort, like if your stomach hurts or whatever kind of pain you have. You can go. There are even like abortive recipes no? that women can have. So there's all sort of medicines that they take out of plants. One of Oaxaca's most valuable things is the relation they have with plants from so long. Oaxaca is a very old place. It's older than the Zapotecs and it's older than the Mixtecs. There's been people living in these valleys for more than 15,000 years proved, no? They say here is where they discovered the Tres Hermanas because they found the earliest track of agriculture in America, in Oaxaca, in the Valley of Yagul. And they found ancient species of corn called Teocintle, which is not the actual corn, it's the old corn. The actual corn was evolved by humans growing it around this area. But the first corn was a very small thing, kind of like the wheat. And they found the first uh, evidence of agriculture from this plant in the Valley of Yagul. So a very special thing about Oaxaca is how the ancient knowledge is living in nowadays. Because it's alive, no? Like people keep it alive by using them. I mean, just by being here, you learn a lot about botanics without even realizing. When I first came with the school and we were doing research about the medicinal properties of plants, we um, realized here in Oaxaca they use mezcal because they had mezcal for at least the last 500 years. Huh? Mezcal is a mestizo thing. It's agave with the European knowledge of destillation, which... Destillation in America can be a whole other podcast, no? <laughs> so when, when they mix the mezcal, which has the uh, properties of alcohol with the herbs, you get infusions and prove that you have medicine, no? There's mezcales that you find a rattlesnake. There's another mezcal that you would find a coralillo snake in it, no? For example, the rattlesnake, they use it for people with cancer and you have to drink it. They have a mezcal that's infused with weed, with marijuana, and they don't use it to drink. They use it for reumas, which I don't know the word in English. Reuma, yeah, rheumatic, yeah. So they, you, you would rub it on your skin, the mezcal with the weed, no? There is all kinds of recipes around mezcal. For example, I've seen other, uh, like, maracames, wirraricas, put peyotes in mezcal, Right? Because mezcal would extract the mescaline and then it would work later. No? They use it with magic mushrooms also. You can practically extract whatever property a plant has with mezcal. So they've been doing it for the last 500 years. Combined with the knowledge they've gathered for the last 14,000, you, you get a lot, no? We had some guests in the last season who are Sotol experts and they also had a Sotol infused with rattlesnake venom 
and they told us it was made to people drank it to increase their resilience and uh, against the, the poison so if somebody got bitten he would have more time to to get medical help before coming back because it's in Tarahumara <laughs> territory which is in the middle of nowhere so what they did if you got bitten in the middle of the desert by yeah. a rattlesnake exactly. so you had exactly. to drink this and then you had maybe three hours more than than you would have you know so it was just I agree it wouldn't save you but it, it would give you time to, to, to reach a town where somebody could save you you know and, and hopefully a good sip <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully die happy yeah <laughs> Every family in Oaxaca, this is very common. If you find a scorpion in your house, you catch it and you put it in a mezcal bottle. Mm -hmm. So it's very common that you see the scorpion mezcal. It actually tastes amazing. It actually does. It's crazy, but it's really good. But what they use it for is in case you get stung by a scorpion, you would go drinking this mezcal on your way to the hospital. No? Yeah, I've also heard in Mexico that if you get stung by a scorpion, you should eat the scorpion. Yes. Because the scorpion doesn't die from its own venom. So, you know, it has the, uh -huh. the antidote. So the antidote. you should cut the stung and eat the scorpion and then you have more time, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's ancestral, maybe not the most precise knowledge, but it, all, it always makes a bit of sense. It always makes a bit of sense. And in some cases, a lot of sense. Mm hmm. Nixia, can we have this kind of infused stuff in, in Germany? Uh, can you get this over for us? Uh, in Germany. Or in Europe in, in general. I think we can. The scorpion one, we just need to get, go catch scorpions. <laughs> I have read that the legislation changed recently for insects in Europe. So now you could bring the, the scorpion. It used to be very closed. Mm -hmm. Insects were not eaten. In, in every culture in the world, the Africans eat insects, the Asian eat insects, the American eat insects, but the European don't. And they were not yeah. in the legislation, so you could not like bring a pallet of insects, you know? Now you can. Yeah. One question, Diego. So yeah. there is no mezcal de gusano in Europa? There is. There is gusano rojo. You can find it. I don't know how they went through the legislation, but now you can bring any kind of insect. <laughs> Chapulines. Uh, you can bring... What's a chapuline? Uh, what, uh, what grasshopper. Grasshopper. Uh, grasshopper. Grasshopper. But, but grasshopper. much smaller. It's a variation of, because grasshoppers can be very big. These chapulines usually are much smaller. And now you, scorpions, now you can bring the eggs of the ants that in Mexico they're a delicatessen when you eat them, the escamoles. Now you can bring them. It's interesting for that. Now, Nixa... Uh, <laughs> We're putting you on the spot right now. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. No, no, I want to ask you, I want to ask yeah, you more about the business. How, how do you see the current mm -hmm. situation in Europe, also with COVID times, how have you been? So I would say like there's a big difference between Europe and North America. Mezcal comes from Mexico and is very strong, has a strong growth in the US because there are many Hispanics. So it's pretty logic that they are pushing this drink as a new category. And in Europe, it's very slow. First of all, especially if you look Germany, people are used to drink a lot, but cheap. They drink a lot of beer, but it's not expensive. The maximum, if you're in Germany and you buy a bottle, it's a good wine of seven euro for many people. And if you go beyond that, it's a niche. Yeah. And then you have to explain what is mezcal. And we know very well, if someone tries the first time mezcal, uh, 90% how the face might look like. Guilty. <laughs> and 10%. The 10% are interesting. Yeah? And what we know is, it's like if someone knows maybe better mate, tea, it's the same thing. At the beginning, it's very bitter. Nobody likes it. But later, if you get used to drink mate, you only want to drink mate. And if you are um, trying to bring this product to someone, he needs time, which means the connoisseur or uh, the beginner of mezcal needs time to understand this product. It's not like shooting it. We know we have to sip it. You need some air in the mouth to get all the taste. You don't have to drink a lot and you have a very long taste in your mouth. It's completely different than other spirits. So you can really enjoy it. That's what I like very much from Mezcal. And for the market, it's not so easy because people first want to try. It has to be tasty. And many are used on more sugary drinks mm -hmm. or not too smoky. And then it has to be affordable. And then you have to explain it. And we know, as we talk now, today you have 
your, I don't know how many podcasts with Bernardo, there are always new information coming. It's a very complex product. So the work in Europe is still with all together who has want to promote Mezcal to build up the category, to understand it. Okay. And then to find acceptance in a bar to say, okay, I want to drink the mezcal and I'm also eager to spend more money because the bars very often, they calculate too much. They say, you know, I don't have time to explain. I have to make my cocktails and then they calculate mezcal like with, with a gin or yeah. another substitute. And then it's pretty tricky to get a good product for a good price. Correct. Here are some answers already to your question. And Mezcal for me personally, and also for the Noble Coyote team, it's a dedication long-term project, which means you need time, you need dedication, you need also the money for it to have it on a smart way to grow together. And then if time is coming, the niche is small, but still Mezcal, we know you can't produce it in millions of liters. Good mezcal. Yeah, but even any mezcal, if you take this category, I think it's only 6 million liters per year. Yeah, yeah, it's around that. That's nothing. It's around that. And gin, you, I think you have 600 or uh, other. So it's, it's a percentage. Yeah, yeah, of course. See, see. And what we are doing now, um, first, for me, whatever I do, I want to stand behind the product. I, I like rather to sell less but quality than different. Then I could do any my job as on any other things. So it's a matter of time, and to get the right people to enjoy it, and I'm I'm sure it will come. And you don't have to be uh, rich uh, like the song, but you have to be happy with what you do. <laughs> so the business should work. It should be um, reasonable the time you spend. But uh, for me, the product is more in focus, as also for Bernardo. And that's the reason why we work together. Of course, you have in the background to have a sustainable growth. But on the other hand, uh, you stand behind the product. And it's a full dedication, what Bernardo does since years. And for me, of course, a lot of my private time, and I've, I scaled down my work to have time for mezcal. So you work only with Noble Coyote as a mezcal or you work with other brands too? No, no, only with Noble Coyote. Only Noble Coyote. Fully focused. It might be in future to extend the portfolio, but it doesn't have to be spirit. It can be also some other natural thing, which is pretty raw from nature and people like to enjoy as an additive or uh, for food. So I'm not close, but we focus now on mezcal. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And if you look the industry... All the big players in the spirits industry, they already invested, like Penorica, Campari, Diageo, Bacardi, Bock, all them, they already had some brand. Yeah, yeah. Just to say we also have it. Mezcal is a hype. But it's not making their business. No, 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 no. It can't be. It's, it's just to have it in the portfolio. If the bar is saying, I want, so want Mezcal, they say, you will also can buy it from me. Mm. And we know the hipsters like George Clooney or this, uh, those hombres, these breaking bad guys. It also shows that people who can afford everything in life, they like it. They could also make uh, sneakers or whatever. They like this product. So that's the fascinating thing of uh, mezcal. It attracts poor and rich. Yeah. It is hard work, but it's also enjoying. It is um, deepness, but it's also openness. So... I think we have a trend in, especially in the US and maybe in Europe a little bit as well to appreciate the things that are not available to everybody and that are unique in a way and that you cannot have in hundreds of thousands or millions of items. You just have a couple of them and you have that year and, and maybe the next year is not very good, but this year is very good and you drink it and then it's gone, right? That's what I love about it. I love to share a bottle with, with somebody and I know the bottle will be gone after it's done, but that's it. To share this special drink with, with some people for joy the community and enjoy the talks that are around the drink. Yes. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Yeah. You're drinking now the Havali. You're drinking the Havali. Havali, yes. Yeah. I have to say the, the Coyote after the Assemble is fantastic. 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 So it's it's always good to start with the ensemble. I have to say that. So uh, very good choice. You know what the word agave means? It means noble. It, it's a Latin word. It's a scientific name that Carlos Linneo gave to the agaves uh, from the information the Spanish gave them of this noble plant that you could use for anything. You could use to build your house. You could use to eat, to drink, to make your clothes and all kinds of uses. So that's where the Noble Coyote names, the name comes from. Ah, okay. 
It's a beautiful story. I like it. So noble as agave coyote, like substituting agave, like, okay, okay. I wanted to ask you something. This is a bit uh, specific and nerdy, but some people who listen may be interested in this. You mentioned that the coyote uh -huh. you guys are growing was a different variety. But I want to ask you, how high up a variety? It's a different species or it's a subspecies? It's a different species because okay. it's identified as agave lioba, con B grande. Lioba. Uh, Can you spell it? L-I-O-B-A. Okay, con B de bueno. And the regular coyote is Americana. Okay, agave lioba. So there is another species. That's important because uh, we were talking and, and we have mentioned this before, but it is important when we go to the species or subspecies. Agave is a huge world. Agave is really exponential. When you talk about grapes, the variety of grapes, we are hearing some shooting in Mexico. <laughs> Welcome to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, let's see if we can see them. Either. <laughs> <laughs> the, with the grapes the variety the, the species is vitis vinifera and then the subspecies are cabernet sauvignon are merlot are syrah those are the subspecies when you talk about agave and that's why i asked bernardo if this was a different species when you say salmiana is a species and then you have subspecies of salmiana and then you have well there is subspecies of for example espadin you can mention 30 different local names and they are subspecies of the agave angustifolia and the species is angustifolia. So when, when you say there's lioba, this new species, it's really interesting because you go higher up in the biological chain and then you have the varieties from the species. I had never heard this name, lioba. If you look at the scientific name in the bottle, it says Karwinski because since it wasn't identified when we sent this batch, we tried to name it and we proposed To, for it to be agave como era Bernardo. no era el, <laughs> no, just kidding <laughs> el, el nombre de coyote en latín we wanted it to be agave latrans o coyote is canis latrans ah canis latrans okay. uh -huh. And, uh, but no they named it agave lioba but okay. there was no identification of the plant we weren't allowed to put whatever we want huh? so we had to put Karwinski SP which is any kind of Karwinski. But now it's okay. not a Karwinski. It's not a Karwinski, no? Like, now identified, not a Karwinski. So one thing is that science is in diapers here, no? The botanical identification of agaves, we don't know anything to this date. Yeah. To give you a, a little examples, it's like, we, we get seeds, for example, from the Madre Quiche. And when we put them in the ground, they grow tobalas, coyotes, Karwinskis, many types, and espadines from the seeds of Madre Quiches. And they don't grow, like, all the same. Like, all the all tobalas don't grow the same. They are, like, interbreeding. They're, they are interbreeding with each other all the time. Sometimes we germinate and we see, like, something that we're not sure if it's a coyote or a tobala. Or something that we don't know if it's a pulquero or a tepestate. You know? Okay. It goes very far. Uh, and we realize we have no idea, no? Because, especially, like, what Diego said is very important, the subspecies... We have no idea how many subspecies there might be because since there is generical interchange between species, it's always evolving at a very fast rate. So there's always new species being created. It's going down the rabbit hole. I think I said it before on the podcast, but the more you know about the this thing, <laughs> you le the less you know. <laughs> the less it's you know. <laughs> Bernardo, I'm going to go to a touchy subject right yeah. now. Not touchy, but I said that some questions may be hard. It's a relaxed question, but it is an incisive question, you know? So, how do you see the situation of CRM currently? Today, they made official the name of Avelino. Okay. So, supposedly today, they got an agreement. But it's been really shitty, man. To give you an example, we had a batch going to Costa Rica that needed to be shipped already. And since they were fighting, their verifier doesn't come. So we've been waiting for them. But today they send us a paper, an official paper saying that they come to an agreement and that the part, which is Avelino, which is the new part, is taking over and they are going to work in peace. So hopefully. But I mean, what's happened, what happens in Comercam is what happens in Oaxaca with everything. <laughs> no? The tricky part I want to go to, is it ever in your mind to stop certifying? 
You guys have an extraordinary product. So maybe mezcal is a last name that costs, but with this mess, some I don't know. You answer the question. I, I you answer the question. So yeah, the, the question goes deep, no? So do I want to not certify mezcales? For sure not. I want mezcales to be certified and I would make certifications different for sure. I would, for example, make a test that's very cheap and easy to make to tell you if it's 100% agave. Yes. That they don't make today. Sí. Like you go, like you have to send them agave samples. They have to come to see how you're cooking. They have to come to, like they control everything, but they don't check this, no? So it's crazy. Of course, it's very corrupted. I think a certification is necessary, but I think the certification would need to work very differently. No? Good mezcal is made by indigenous communities. And certification rules are made for big industries. So it doesn't fit. No? I agree. And I see a lot of brands that I respect deviating from the certifications, you know, like the tequila certification or the Raicilla certification or the Sotol certification, because they see that it's a, it's too much politics, Mexican politics. Let's not just say politics, but Mexican <laughs> politics, you know, which makes it a bit harder. Exactly. Because we, we it's a mess, our country. So sometimes that's why I asked the question. I wanted to know what was your position. But Diego, also from this perspective, Mezcal as a category is already hard to build up to understand. And if now would come something new, which is don't certify it, and there are so many varietals, you have Sotol, you have Mezcal, and so on, it will be harder You're right. for the people to understand it. And who will drink it is really the core, core niche Mexican or agave lovers. We know, uh, Albert, you also met uh, in, in Munich, um, Alex from our room, the barkeeper. He's one guy who, who will love it and look and dive into it. But this is a very small uh, audience. And if we want to sustainably grow, that's important, mm -hmm. really. I think you have to play also with this game, as many other industries in the world are somehow linked to some homologation yeah, or yeah, whatever of course, to of get course. Yeah. Answering and touching another subject on the same question is the denomination of origin and how it was created in Mezcal. When you think of denominations of origin, which is intellectual property, I think it's good that only certain places could produce certain products because they were the first to do it and they could maintain this quality. But when you look at denominations of origin, I, I can name to you Champagne, I can name to you Roquefort, even Tequila, no? They are all places which is how denominations of origins should work. They have to be exactly. from the place. And in Mezcal, it's a mess because there is no place called Mezcal that makes Mezcal, no? They did it wrong from the beginning. They did it wrong, exactly. And, and now it's like it's paying effect. Like Mezcal is made all over Mexico. So like me being Oaxacan, and my, my best interest would be that only Oaxaca can make Mezcal. But that's not fair and that shouldn't be, no? Because all of Mexico makes Mezcal, traditionally, no? So when they made mezcal only from Oaxaca, from there they fucked up, no? Yeah, 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 they did, they did, they did. And copying the mezcal regulation from the tequila regulation. Mm -hmm. And just about like the three products from you that we just tasted, they are, they are very, very different in, in their taste profiles. Now, you add the different biodiversity all over Mexico, you add the different plants, the different species and subspecies we just talked about. There are so many variables and, and yeah. you have so much variety and it's all under the, the category mezcal. There is so much diversity in the, in the product alone. For me, that's, that's the part that's, that makes it interesting. But for somebody who just gets accustomed to it and tries it for the first time, it, it can be a little bit overwhelming. So I understand that you want to call it mezcal. Yeah, so at least you have, you have some form of drawer where you can put yeah. the product in and, and maybe people can then... Once they discover that drawer, they might go into into other categories. But um, yeah, I, I can understand yes. why you why you say okay, we want this to be a mezcal and and it should have the the official name. It's very complex. Not only that, it has to be made in one place. It has to be one product. Tequila is one product, all of it. Mm. No, and here you get over thirty species that are that are, that can be produced to mezcal. So you would need thirty different denominations of origins. No, <laughs> yeah. Or just one, agave spirit. Agave spirit. Agave spirit, yeah. yeah. It's an That's agave good, spirit. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. It is a category. It exists it? as a category, agave mm -hmm. spirit. So so the, when, when I say 
a lot of brands, some of them I work with, some of them I don't, but a lot of brands that are in categories and are seeing the mess politics makes around a product, they just jump to the agave spirit category, you know? Uh, agave distill, agave spirit, that's the, the other way to go. To avoid politics, because I can bet... Niksha and, and Bernardo, some of the best spirits you have tried are not even certified. <laughs> They're just from a farm. A guy just gave you and they... they this that, is my bottle. That, 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 exactly. 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 That, exactly. Bernardo has, to, has a, a plastic bottle that used to contain water, but I don't think Or it juice. contains water anymore. I, I think it's something different. And it's probably the best thing he, he would ever try. But <laughs> And it's just... An, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Guys, I, I think we should yeah. wrap this up. This, I, I, maybe we have to have another yes. conversation. But It's been a pleasure. Eh? It's, it's been a pleasure. And the, the information you yeah. shared with us, Very fluid. I think our, our listeners will really appreciate and, and savor I it. So, so, yeah. so thank you for your time and thank you for, for putting up with us yeah. uh, yes. crazy Berliners <laughs> here. <laughs> yes, maybe we, we can meet because we are planning to be in, uh, in Berlin at the Bar Convent this year. So Bernardo, if he comes, so we are planning now the trip. We are not sure, you know, with we COVID. We definitely have to do a follow-up yeah, episode okay, okay, on okay. that one. So, so then we can have some live uh, sips and enjoy uh, in, in, on the site because uh, it's still a finger difference having yes, this online ab meeting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and seeing each other sure. uh, is okay. much better. If, if you guys come to Berlin for BCW, we are going to be there. So, so let's get together and and and, and uh make another podcast maybe <laughs> yeah. no not necessarily but just meeting yeah. each other that would be very cool i, I think I, yeah but bernardo has has to bring his plastic <laughs> yeah, bring bottle some, with him yeah bring some bring some of we, that we want the scorpion stuff potion. we want mm -hmm. the scorpion stuff yeah i'll bring the peyote one <laughs> yeah very good very good please <laughs> hands down guys uh the habali that we just uh, drank at the last is one of my top three at the moment so it's this is a wonderful wonderful product and and so refined and so so complex and and beautiful compliments you got, you my compliments you guys really have really excellent product it's thank you guys uh, i think we excellent I, product. i think we should do the podcast again and then we should meet in person just have some drinks <laughs> wonderful right but it was it was That's fun, a great idea too <laughs> we're okay. finishing in a in heated subject so i think we should do follow-up yeah. <laughs> absolutely absolutely okay so guys yeah. thank, thank you, you very much for listening so to all our listeners uh, who who made it through here so thanks for joining us and uh, uh, we will put all the information that you need to get in touch with niksha or with bernardo we will put that on on our podcast on our website And um, we will hopefully hear each other again and see each other again. Thanks for listening and talk to you, listen to you next time. Really nice to meet Ciao. you guys. Thanks Thank for everything. Thank you very much. Adios, Nixa. Ciao. Bye.